Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Thank you for making this message a part of your week. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we would love for you to visit our tribe family. We meet on Sundays at 5.30 at the Snow King Conference Center. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can find us online or on Facebook by searching tribejh.com. Hope. <clears throat> so you don't, have to, you don't have to raise your hand, um, but, but anybody in here tonight holding on to, to some hope, maybe of a, a promise that God has, has whispered to their heart. Anybody in here tonight that, is, that, that has hope or is trying to hold on to, to hope for maybe one of a promise that's found in his word or something that God has spoken to you. Maybe it was, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was a long, long, long time ago. Look at the Giffords and remember his goodness. And let me, just, let me just say this really quickly because we're all human in here, right? Including myself, maybe the most human person in here. There have been times when uh, I was in different areas and aspects of ministry, something I was believing for, for something I was praying for, something I was hoping for, and, and the ministry down the street got it. I was praying for the breakthrough and they got it. I was praying for, for that increase, and they got it. I was praying for that thing, and, and they got it. And it was awful revealing to my heart how I responded. And my first, to, to be honest, my first response is, well, why them and not me? I know this about them. I know they're actually kind of weasels. And here I am. I've been faithfully serving you, and you give what I've been praying for to them Years later, the Lord showed me that oftentimes he will give somebody else what, the breakthrough that we're praying for just to check our hearts on how we will handle the breakthrough when we actually receive it. And so here's what I started doing. Anytime I hear about the success of another ministry, another church, or when one of my friends gets an elk and I don't, I'm the... <laughs> I'm the first one to sign up to like, hey, he let me help you go haul it out. Let me, let me send you a thank you card. Let me send you that congratulations text because it checks my heart and it helps align and position my heart and strengthens and builds my hope. So if there's anything that you have your hope set on right now that hasn't come into manifestation, that's a real churchy word, that hasn't shown up, that hasn't arrived in your lap, hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Stephen Furtick pre preached this message on hope a few years ago, and I'm going to steal the illustration that he stole. You know, there's that movie, Hope Floats, and he said that hope actually doesn't float. It's actually an anchor, and it can be that thing that anchors you to your relationship with the Lord. It can anchor you into sanity. It can anchor you into this place of staying faithful and true even when you haven't seen the arrival of what it is that you've been hoping for yet. Because we know this, God is a good God, isn't he? He is a good God. And that's what we're talking about this month. Our theme for Christmas, uh, December 24th, Christmas Eve service, uh, is called Hope is here, and we're talking about how Jesus is the 
perfect embodiment of hope. He is flesh and blood. He is hope in flesh and blood. And so in in anticipation of Christmas that we're going to celebrate in just a few weeks, we're, on, we're in a series right now called Hope is Here, and we're talking about how, how to, building anticipation uh, for Christmas. And there's this verse in the Bible, I believe it's in Romans, it says that at just the right time, when we were utterly hopeless, God sent Jesus Christ at just the right time. At just the right time, when all hope seemed to be lost, when we were hanging, when humanity was hanging by a thread, however are we gonna get ourselves out of this mess? We've gotten ourselves into it. Is there any way to extricate ourselves from sin and confusion and brokenness and from all of the calamity that's going on around the world? The Bible says at just the right time, at just the right time. I'm sure if you asked the Giffords, they would have loved for this adoption process to be one week long from beginning to end. I'm sure if we were to ask you what it is that you were hoping for, when would you like to have the manifestation of your hope? Your answer would probably be right, right now. But, the, but God was building something into the Giffords. God is building something into you so that at just the right time, Last week, we talked about how at just the right time, in that moment that Jesus entered the world as a baby, it actually began thousands of years before. And we talked about the arrival of hope. It started as the, as the archer lets fly with the arrow. The arrow is not at the target as soon as the archer lets it go. It has to travel across space and time before it arrives. But all the way back in the garden, in the beginning of human history, God let fly the arrow of salvation for mankind. And there was a prophecy that God spoke in that moment after Adam and Eve had sinned. And that prophecy was, he was speaking to the serpent, the devil, and he said, you'll bruise his heel, but he will absolutely crush your head. The arrival of Jesus on planet earth gives us hope because it means that there is a way right relationship with God can be restored. And tonight, if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Joshua? We're going to continue on in that series. And we're going to look at Joshua chapter 2. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, when you think of Christmas messages, uh, you probably immediately think of Rahab the prostitute. I mean... Kind of go hand in hand, right? With eggnog, cousin Eddie, and Rahab the prostitute. So we're gonna be we're gonna be looking at Joshua chapter two tonight. I'm gonna read several verses to you. And if you're taking notes, the title of tonight's message is Beauty for Ashes. Joshua chapter two, Beauty for Ashes. And I'm gonna start reading and I'm gonna read just a few verses to you. And then it Starts chapter 2 with this. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at the Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So, this is one of the funniest things in the Bible that at least, I mean, it gets me every time. Just, <laughs> what's, their, what's their mission? Scout out Jericho. Get, find their weakness, get a plan of attack. So when we come back and we're just going to drop this city to the ground, 
And Thank you, Lissy. Now, so the two men set out. They had one mission, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out, and where did they end up? They came to the house of a prostitute. They Rahab, and they stayed there that night. Okay, maybe I'm the only one that sees the humor in that. What does that mission debrief look like? All right, guys, now give me a sit rep. Tell me, where'd you go first? Okay, uh, see, um, uh, uh, we, we went to Rahab's house. Okay, Rahab, okay. And uh, what does she do? What tactical advantage do we hit? She's a what? <laughs> guys. All right, all right. It's funny about mine. Verse two, I'm only at verse two. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho said orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house before they have come here, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably... Catch up with them. Verse 6. Actually, she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them beneath a bundle of flax that she had laid out. It's an interesting word. Underline in your paper Bible that word flax. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. As soon as the king's men had left, the gates of Jericho were shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she said to them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now... Swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and give to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and their families. Verse 14. We offer our lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then... Since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Right, underline window and rope also. We're going to come back to these. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. And then when they've returned, you can go on your way. So this is the story of Rahab, the prostitute. And here's what's important for you to remember and how this ties into Christmas. The arrival of Jesus on planet Earth gives us hope because only He has the ability to take our past mistakes and failures and turn them into something beautiful. As the story tells us, Rahab was a prostitute. She carried around that, that, that moniker 
that tag her whole life. She carried around that mark of, of failure, that mark that, that people would look down on. It defined her past. Even the Bible records Rahab as the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. For thousands of years, that name has stuck with her and all began in the city of Jericho. Everybody in Jericho knew about Rahab and her reputation. How do I know that? Because you know about people and the reputation that they have. Their reputation precedes them, if you will. And it was the same with Rahab. She carried around this mark of failure. It was, it was her past that defined her. She was rejected by normal mainstream society. And she was even pushed to the edge of any kind of social interaction, having any kind of social life. And the story tells us that. We know that because her house was built into the city wall. As far to the outside without being cast out of the city as you can get. Push, not in the middle, not in the heart, not in the heart of the city, not in a place where there's lots of social interaction going on and acceptance and love and, and friendships and relationships, but shoved because of her choices, because of her mistakes, because of her lifestyle, shoved all the way to the outer limits of the city. In fact, she had to build her house into the city wall. When I read the story of Rahab, it makes me think about people today. How there are some people that live their life today much like Rahab. And here's what I mean by that. They carry around with them the burden of guilt and shame for past mistakes and failures. Some people carry around this, this, this title that they've put on themselves. Well, I'm divorced. And that's just this thing that covers and marks their life. Well, I've messed up. I've blown. Maybe you've been to jail. Maybe there's been some marital indiscretion. I mean, we could, the list could go on and on, right? Of ways that people have messed up, they've blown it, and it's gone on to define their life. Even though they move forward in time, there's a part of them that's stuck. Or they try to, they try to move forward, but they end up like, like carrying this big ball and chain. Remember the, the Christmas story with Bob Cratchit, right? They go to... You know, the ghost of, which, which ghost of Christmas past comes to visit him and he's just got all the, where is that ghost of Christmas future? You know, one of those ghosts. And he's just got like, he's got the lockbox and the chains and he's dragging it all through. That, that there are people, even within this room, you can't see it and you can't hear the clunking of the chains, but people try to live their lives at a normal lifestyle pace, carrying with them the heavy burdens of the chains of past mistakes, regrets, and failures. And maybe they haven't had the occupation of a prostitute, but yet they still carry with them, like Rahab, they feel emotionally pushed to the, just the outer bounds of society. Even though that they're in society, maybe they don't feel a, a part of it. They feel abandoned, they feel rejected, they feel they carry with them the pain of the consequences from their actions or their words or the way that they messed up and they know it. As we look at the life of Rahab, something amazing happens. And we see it in 
beginning, uh, at the very beginning of the story of Rahab. One day, two men enter Rahab's life. Think of all the men that potentially could have been in and out of Rahab's life. One day, she hears a knock at the door, opens the door. Two men are standing there. Is it going to be just business as normal? This was a very different day. This day, the knock at the door would alter the destiny of her life. Two men showed up at her door, and they carried with them two very different messages. Here's the first message that these, mess- that these spies came with them. Look at verse 9. Rahab is speaking, and she says this, I know that the Lord has given you the land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and to Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of heaven above and the earth below. The knock at that door was the knock of judgment. Judgment had arrived for Rahab. And it had arrived for the whole city of Jericho. Did you know that someday... Each and every person within the sound of my voice will hear the knock and it will be time for them to stand before a holy God in judgment. And listen to what it says. The the Bible says this. It says that no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. Think of the most God-hating, blasphemous gospel-rejecting person that you can think of that, that you know of personally or that you've seen on TV or in the movies or in the music industry, the most defiant person will stand someday before a holy God and face judgment and tremble with fear. They will have no strength left. The Bible literally says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the lordship of God. You are right You are just. And so judgment had arrived for Rahab. But I said there were two messages that came to the door that day. And this is the good news. How awful would it be if it just stopped at that? Judgment's here. But there was also a message of salvation. Not just condemnation, but salvation. Listen to verse 12. Here's what the spies say. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. And here's what that meant. Uh, We would sooner lay down our lives and have it cost our lives than for you to lose your life. Can anybody connect any dots here? The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Now listen, listen to this. Rahab was helping the spies escape. But it was the spies who were really saving Rahab's life. Can you see that in the story? Nod your heads, yes or no. It's a binary question. Rahab was helping the spies escape. But it was the spies who were really saving Rahab's life. Now, as we read, uh, as we read this story earlier... 
I told you there were three words that I wanted you to underline, right? And I've put those three words up here on the screen. If They would magically appear. The flax, the window, and the scarlet rope. These are keys to unlocking the power of this story. There's a bundle of flax in the first picture. There is a, a window out of a, a mud-walled hut or room in the second picture. And there's a, a braid of scarlet rope in the third picture. As the story goes, we know that she hid them under a harvest of flax on the roof. Now, flax is, is, was, was used in the textile industry and it was different than cotton. It kind of looks like a, a bushel of wheat and you get the flax seed out of it and there's lots of health benefits for that. And, uh, who knows, there's probably essential oils you can put on things. Do you have your flax oil? No, no, Leah's not laughing. Whoops. She's like, I'll fire off an email to him. So flax, it was, it's, it's kind of, um, it's a very fibrous um, material. Kind of, it grows in these little stalks and it does have seeds and you use the flax seeds for something. When the, when the flax blooms, there's this really beautiful uh, blue flower that, that comes out of it and they would have these field of flax. But the stalk itself was, was, was very fibrous and you could take that stalk and you could, through a process, you could turn it into a textile. You could turn it into a fabric and the name of the fabric that comes from flax is called linen. It's different than cotton. It's called linen. And it was the finest fabric available in the time. And it was highly prized in Egypt. And if you look in the Mosaic law, when God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, he also gave instructions on how to, how to clothe the priests that would stand before the Lord and minister before the Lord. And the Bible says that all of their garments were supposed to be made out of linen. You're so smart. So here Rahab is. She had a bundle of, of a big bundle of flax on the roof that was being that was getting ready to be prepared and converted into whatever she was going to use it for. And that's where she hid the two spies. But it's interesting that it was flax. Because what's when I read this story, the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart, and he said that although Rahab hid the spies under the flax, it was really Rahab that was trying to hide under a religious system. On the inside, she dealt constantly with brokenness, with disappointment, with pain, with failure. But that was all hidden by this idea and this air of, of religiosity or trying to be nice, trying to, trying to be good trying to make it up in front of people, trying to, to think, well, surely my good acts can outweigh my, my bad acts, right? If I just go to church more, if I just do enough good deeds, if I just, you know, recycle enough aluminum, if I drive a Subaru, if I just, you know, do all these different things, if I try to reduce my carbon footprint, which all are nice and have their place, but if you're trying to do that in order to make up for offending a holy God, in the same way, that God thought of the religious system. It's just a bunch, what Jesus, he was always after the Pharisees because they had just gotten trapped up and caught up and trapped in religion. They were hiding behind the flax of religion. There was another word, the window. That window 
that's mentioned in the story is really important because a window is not a typical way of egress for a person leaving a room. Unless you're a stuntman, like the fall guy, when you leave a room, you typically look for a, a door. But it says in this story that the two spies were lowered out of a window. They're, they took a, not a normal, not a nor, non-traditional way out. Do you know that Rahab had probably been in and out of the front door of her little house? How many times? Dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of times. She had been in and out of that door, but no change had happened in her life. Now these two spies showed up and said, we're going to do something out of the normal. Something that's different. You've gone in and out and there's been no change. But God, with the arrival of these two spies, says, I'm making a new way in your life. Just when you thought you were trapped in your old ways, I'm making a new way. Just when you thought you were trapped and bound by your old life, by your old thought pattern, by that self-destructive relationship, by fear or isolation or depression, God arrives and knocks at the door of the human heart and says, I've got a new way. And then finally, the scarlet rope. The scarlet rope is symbolic of foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus that would be shed on the cross 1,300 years later. Could have been dyed indigo. Could have been like, you know, neutral colored. But the fact that it was scarlet for red is symbolic of the blood of Jesus that would be shed for her sins and for the sins of the whole world later. I was thinking about this, and I didn't know how to tie it in, but I'll just, I'll just leave you with the image. When those guys, you know, hand over hand or, or slid down the rope, I don't know, maybe they went like, you know, Aussie commando style, face first, I don't know what they did. But imagine when they got down to the ground after gripping that rope for their very life and they scurried off across the Jordan and hid for three days. What do you think the color of their hands were? That they had that constant reminder that they owed this woman a life debt. Some sort of guarantee, a mark, a sign guaranteeing Rahab's inheritance that she would be saved. Does not Jesus stand at the very throne of God? The Bible says that he intercedes night and day for us. And he's saying, Lord, is he saying, Lord, please, 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 Lord, please? Or is he just showing the Father his hands that he paid for man's sin already? The flax, the window, and the scarlet rope. Anybody who asks for his help Jesus' blood will pay the penalty for their sin and set them free, giving them a new life. We know the story goes that when Joshua takes the city of Jericho, Rahab and her family is spared. And I, I want to show you a, a picture here because the, the Bible is true and it's believable and history is always proving the Bible true. Archaeologists have gone and, and they know where the, the city, the ancient city of Jericho is. And in those days, a lot of parts of the world, they'll build city on top of city on top of city, and you have these mounds called tells, and then they'll just build on top of that and build on top of that. Well, they've dug down to the time period in history where the city of Jericho was built, and there is evidence, 
archaeological evidence that you can go and see with your own little peepers the city of Jericho that was destroyed except for one wall on the north end of the city that stayed intact that archaeologists have been able to find structures built into that, into that wall. Now, they weren't able to find the, the doormat that says Rahab family is here, but I'll let you draw the conclu- conclusions that you want. Her house was spared, her family was spared, and in Joshua chapter 6, verse 23, it says, the men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all of the other relatives who were there with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. This is what's so cool. God's plan of salvation is so amazing that not only does he save us from our sin, as he did with Rahab, and brought them out of a, from a place of destruction into a place of safety, the, the camp of Israel, but he goes above and beyond. And he can take our past failures and our past mistakes and make something beautiful out of it. And for anybody who's ever messed up, for anybody who's ever failed, for anybody who's ever fallen short, that should give all of us hope. He can literally redeem our past. He can take a bad situation and make something amazing and incredible out of it. I remember a time when Lissa took a bad situation and made something incredible out of it. It was a few years ago. Um, we, were, we were going down to the desert to do some camping over spring break. And uh, we loaded up the Jeep and we had a little trailer with us. And we were ready for, I don't know, 10, 13 days of camping down in the desert. And while we were loading up all of our gear, you know, that's always the hardest part of a trip is, right, is just trying to get out of the door. Like the trip could just end before it even starts with just all the chaos and fighting. I mean, we don't fight. But, <laughs> but, but we're getting everything ready. And um, we got all of our stuff, you know, um, we put our sleeping bags and sleeping pads in the ski box above the Jeep. And we put our camping gear kind of in this trailer. And then Lisa had like, you know, like, like 18 different layers of blankets for the dogs in the back of the Jeep. And I was, I was, I was discussing with Lissa, like the dogs don't need that many blankets. I mean, they're just dogs. They're happy to just be going on the trip with us. They're going to be fine. They're dogs. And Lissa's like, I want to make it nice and comfortable for them. And I mean, it was like, it's like they thought they were staying like the Ritz Carlton or something. So we get down, we make it down to the desert. Um, uh, we, we get out in the middle of nowhere. We're looking for a camping spot. It's getting later and later in the afternoon. And um, there are probably no other wives that have husbands like this, but, but Liz is married to a husband that likes to go like a little bit further and then a little bit further. I think there could be an even better camping spot. Like, then there, why, are there any other wives that can relate? So I'm the only one. Okay, there's one. We finally get there. It's dark. Man, it's getting cold. It gets cold in the desert at night, even during spring break down in Utah. And we, we set up the tent. We're getting the fire going, getting ready for dinner to start. And um, it's the kid's job to lay out sleeping bags and sleeping pads. And Kai was like, okay, Dad, hand me the keys for the ski box. And I reached on the key ring, and I was like, oh, whoops. The keys for the ski box were on the other key ring that I was using. And now all of our sleeping bags and our sleeping pads are locked and the Jeep just above us 
with no way of getting into it. It was a bad situation. But my amazing wife, in her preparing this nice little bed for the dogs that I didn't want to have anything to do with, was like, I've got a solution. And so we camped all, you know, I don't know, however many, nine, ten days, however long it was for spring break, with no sleeping bags, no sleeping pads, but we did just fine sleeping on a nest of blankets that Lisa had made and us sharing all the blankets. For some reason, I got the thinnest blanket. I don't know how that tough guy. worked out. And that's what she said, be a tough guy. But I wanna land the, I wanna, I wanna land the plane here and I wanna show you. God set Rahab free. But how did he redeem the situation? of Rahab's life? How did he take the ashes of her life, her failure and her shame, how she messed up and blew it? How in the world could God make something beautiful out of somebody that had the occupation of a prostitute? Well, for the answer to that question, we gotta go over to the New Testament. Let's, let's turn there as I land the plane. Uh, look at Matthew chapter one. <clears throat> chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 2 starts with this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. She has an interesting story as well. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nishon. Nishon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. On and on and on and on it goes until verse 15. Elud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Matan. Matan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. In the lineage, on his father's side, of Jesus, take something like the ashes of Rahab's life and make something beautiful out of it. And what he did for Rahab, he stands ready to do for anyone, and including, including for you in here tonight. Listen to this really cool verse. This is the last verse that I'm going to read. It's in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. And Jesus himself quoted this verse as he began his public ministry. This verse was a prophecy about Jesus written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Through the prophet Isaiah, he got a glimpse of the Messiah. He got a glimpse of the Savior. He knew that humankind had messed up, had blown it. 
And in his desire for a relationship, close, intimate relationship with the Lord, he cried out, man, there's got to be some way that you can take this mess of humanity, this ashes of humanity, and make something beautiful out of it. And God gave him a revelation of a Messiah. And then the prophet Isaiah penned these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Isaiah is writing, but he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the Savior to come. He's talking about Jesus, who it wouldn't be for hundreds of years before his arrival. But here's what he said about Jesus. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against his enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Close your eyes. Is there an area of your life that feels like it's just in ashes? You messed up, you've blown it, you know it. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know that it's ashes. But there's this nagging sense always following behind you. Your past is always dogging your heels. Maybe you know your life is ashes and you've tried to hide it under flax. Just maybe it's been religion by church attendance or whatever. But maybe it's trying to make up for the past. You just take those ashes and you keep rearranging them and sweeping them and trying to sculpt something beautiful out of it. But in the end, it leaves you hopeless because you realize that even your best effort at sculpting ashes is nothing more than just a pile of ashes. Tonight is a night to have hope birthed in your heart because Jesus and only Jesus can take the ashes of your past failure and mistakes and make something beautiful out of them. What he did for Rahab, he stands ready to do for you tonight or anytime. Father, I pray for my tribe fam. And if there's anybody in here that has just been feeling like they've been dragging around this weight of their past failures, their past mistakes, which we've all made. And they would cry out to you and say, Lord, I need to be set free from my past failures and mistakes. Lord, just as you sent those two spies, would you send your Holy Spirit to let them know that they can have hope in the Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for their sin, that they can be set free. And then Lord, above and beyond that, as only you can do, would you take the ashes of their past mistakes and do something amazing and glorious? and turn it into something beautiful. Just before I say amen, uh, I'd like to know, especially who I need to be praying for in here, that, that you would say, and that the Holy Spirit is just speaking to my heart tonight through this message, Pastor Brian. I wanna pray for you specifically, regardless of what it is. We don't even need to know, but will you just raise your hand? 
If you're like, man, that was for me tonight. Just hold it up for just a second so I can see. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, that's awesome. Okay. Lord, I pray for my tribe family. Give them a glimpse of, of, of hope that can be found in you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Christmas time, season of hope. Um, in just a moment, we're going to receive the offering. And as we receive the offering, I want you to be thinking about when you give funds, when you give your hard-earned money to the church, it's a sacrifice that you make. And we're going to invite you to make a, a sacrifice of your finances as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for all the good that he's done in his life, how he's taken care of you, how he's provided for you. But I also want you to be thinking about the sacrifice of maybe your reputation, the sacrifice of maybe, you know, what it might cost you when you invite that person that you've been praying for to church on Christmas Eve. When we do Christmas Eve, it's great to celebrate as a tribe fam. But think about all the Rahabs that have been pushed out, marginalized. Christmas Eve is your chance to knock on the door of your neighbor's heart. And not to say that there's doom and gloom and judgment coming, but there is escape. There is a way out from underneath the pain and the bankrupt lifestyle that you've been living. So as you make the sacrifice of, of giving tonight, I want you to be thinking about who is on your radar for you to invite to Christmas Eve service. I only have until Bob gets to the front before I have to start to pray to receive. And here he comes. Here he comes. Somebody grab his leg because I'm preaching. You've got, you've got to yeah, yeah, grab a belt loop, something. Who is it? Who is it that you're going to step out and knock on the door? to invite them to say, I got a great a message of great news that I want to share with you on Christmas Eve. Come to Christmas Eve service with me. So Father, right now we pray for the finances of tribe. Thank you that even though the enemy has stolen from us, that you're a good God. And before the sun even went down that day, somebody called us and said, hey, I found out about this. I'm literally standing in a music store right now and I, my hands were just on a beautiful electric bass guitar and I want to buy it for tribe and just give it to tribe before the sun even went down and so Lord you're, you're crazy good to us and we thank you for your goodness to us as a tribe fam and we thank you for your goodness to each and every person here and so Lord I ask that you would bless their giving whether they're giving by check or by cash or through their smartphone Lord I just ask that you would bless their giving and you would use these funds to make your name famous here at tribe in Jackson Hole and specifically in the in the heart. We ask that your name would be made famous in the heart of the guy that's sitting in jail right now for 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 what he stole. Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to minister to him. That the conviction of your Holy Spirit would just rest heavy on him and would open the door of his heart once he knows that he stole from a church. I mean that's bad. God sees everything just put it on his heart to just soften his heart and we ask that your kindness would lead him to repentance we thank you that these funds will go to make your name famous not only in that jail cell in Jackson but even to the uttermost bounds of the earth we pray these things in Jesus name and everybody said 
Well, Lord, bless your giving. Drop those connect cards in there. Amanda's got a few announcements.